Tigers will love that. Download our app today and enjoy tackle-busting benefits with great odds, more markets, and same-game multi every NRL match at Palmer Bed. Gamble responsibly. For gambler's help, call 1-800-858-858. Welcome everyone to episode 412 of Fergan Freak. I'm your host, the Glorious League Freak. And today I want to talk about the attacks that Channel 9 Media have begun upon the Redcliffe Dolphins as we look ahead to their inclusion in the 2023 NRL competition. Now, I want to go back just a little bit Because when the NRL was looking to expand the competition, they were doing it on the basis of wanting to bring in more revenue into the competition, which is why sporting competitions around the world expand in 2022. You're looking to bring more money in and sort of grow the pie, so to speak, so everyone gets a bigger slice of pie. Now, it would have been the sporting thing to do to have a team in either Perth or Adelaide or Papua New Guinea or a second team in New Zealand. Now, the second team in New Zealand, that's a bit of an issue because of COVID, so let's put that aside. But the previous teams, that would have been the thing you would have done to expand the competition in a sporting sense. From an economic sense, what the league was faced with was the prospect of adding another team in southeast Queensland that allowed them to have a second team in Brisbane, which is the second biggest rugby league city in the world. And it allowed them to then go to broadcasters and say, look, in this rugby league mad city and this rugby league mad area of the world in southeast Queensland, we now have more relevant local content that you can sell to your advertisers and things like that. Because when it comes down to it, in Brisbane, a Brisbane-based team is going to rate higher than, say, the Canterbury Bulldogs are, or the West Tigers, or the Penrith Panthers. Like, you know, people want to watch their local clubs. They want to watch content that's relevant to them. And so we added the Redcliffe Dolphins. Now, the Redcliffe Dolphins have been pushing for an expansion club in the NRL for a long time. You might remember when the Gold Coast got an expansion uh, back into the NRL. They called themselves the Gold Coast Dolphins. And Redcliffe actually took them to court and said, look, we are aiming to get into the NRL and we want to be able to use our name when we get there. And they won. And that's why the Gold Coast Titans are now the Gold Coast Titans and not the Dolphins. So Redcliffe has always been looking down the line at becoming an NRL club. And they finally got the license. They're going to become the Redcliffe Dolphins, the Brisbane Dolphins. We don't know what they're going to call themselves just yet, but they're a Brisbane-based team that's going to be called the Dolphins. They're a team with a lot of tradition. They're a team with pathways in place right now. Um, They exist. They're a club. They're not a franchise. They're not something that has to be built from scratch. This is a club that is, is a rugby league club right now with many lower grades a great history, so on and so forth. Now, when you consider that on the economic side of the game, that's where the decision fell to expand the competition. It is pretty galling to see Channel 9 Media, who are the ones that 
are going to benefit more than probably anybody else out of the Dolphins expansion in terms of having that relevant content that they can sell to advertisers. It's galling to see them now start attacking that club and the way that that club has decided to build itself up for the 2023 season in terms of recruitment, in terms of who they have decided to put in place to run the club and and really power this expansion. Um, Now, last night on one of Channel 9's uh, shows, one that I don't watch, but I've seen it picked up by other media outlets during the day, uh, Phil Gould was very critical of the way that the expansion has happened. And he said that there were a few things that the NRL should have done. First of all, he said the NRL should have powered the expansion rather than leaving it to Redcliffe. Uh, I tend to think that Redcliffe is a very, very proud traditional club within Queensland Rugby League. Uh, They know how to run a rugby league club, funnily enough. But he said that the NRL should have given them salary cap dispensation and pointed to... Uh, some of the other expansion we've seen in Australian sport, most notably the AFL, where they basically give more salary cap space to teams that are based outside of their traditional heartlands. And they say it's relocation fees. What it really is, is a, a way to make those teams better than they normally would be and to try and expand their sport. They've got to do anything they can in AFL to expand their sport because Where do you go outside of Australia? Like it has to be super successful right across Australia or it's nothing. So that's why they've got to do that. Rugby league doesn't have to do that. Um, You know, the Dolphins are situated in a very, very strong part of the rugby league playing world. They don't have to worry that players are not going to move there. They don't have to worry that junior players are... not going to want to move away from where they have grown up and played and away from their family stuff because they're in in heartland of rugby league in southeast Queensland. You know, even if you've got a a very good young junior that's on the Gold Coast, you know, it's not that far to go to North Brisbane, which is where I think the, the Dolphins will basically base themselves in the long run. Um. He also brought up... Oh, the other thing to bring up too is that everyone knows that the AFL competition in that regard is kind of fixed. You know, the team in Brisbane and the team in Sydney, they can spend more than everyone else. Like, that's not a fair competition. And then to bring up that team in Western Sydney in the AFL as some sort of shining light that we should be looking at in terms of expansion clubs is fucking outrageous. Because let me tell you, I live in Western Sydney. I've lived in Western Sydney all of my life. That club has zero presence in Western Sydney. In fact, I think that they train uh, somewhere in Eastern Sydney. Like they, At first they pretended they were a Western Sydney club, and now they don't even pretend that anymore. Like They're a Western Sydney club in name only. But to think that that is the gold standard that some of these people are using to say, well, we should have set it up like that greater Western Sydney team is fucking hilarious because that team is basically a show that is put on for nobody. 
Nobody cares. Nobody. Absolutely nobody. Go and look at their crowds. No one gives a shit. Even the AFL supporters in Sydney don't give a shit. So let's forget all of that. Then Phil Gould brings up this idea that we should have a draft in place. Now, if you were looking at bringing in an expansion draft, I would say not the worst idea in the world. And what an expansion draft would be is that, say, every NRL club would put, of their, say, top 30 squad, they would make five players of that top 30 squad available. Now, it might be their worst five players in that top 30 squad. But no matter how long those players are under contract for, those players would be available to the Redcliffe Dolphins to go and talk to, negotiate with, take over their contract, bring them on board. If that was the sort of expansion draft we were going to have, I'd say, you know what, not the worst idea in the world. Now, with the way that rugby league runs and the way that contracts are and the way that clubs will sign a player and then tap them on the shoulder and say, you know what, you can go and negotiate with other clubs if you want. With the way all of that works... I tend to think we've got a quasi-expansion draft anyway that happens. It's just not an official one. So I look at somebody like Charlie Staines, who's been reportedly told by the Penrith Panthers, look, he can go and and look for another contract elsewhere if he wants to. Um, If he got in contact with the Redcliffe Dolphins and they wanted him on board, he could go to the Redcliffe Dolphins. That would serve as a similar sort of process as you would see in an expansion draft anyway. But the idea that Rugby League in Australia needs a full rookie draft is absolutely ridiculous. It is short-sighted. It is a way for clubs to try and get around the cost of developing junior rugby league players. And it is something that is just not well thought through. Now, I'm not surprised that a draft and all of these not well thought through ideas are being brought up by Channel 9 media people because they just spew a lot of bullshit. And they're not alone. It's the same with a lot of the people you see on Fox Sports on, you know, their think tank programs where they sit around and yell at each other about these great ideas that are just fucking ridiculous. We have done many many episodes on this podcast about why expansion uh, so sorry why an NRL draft would be a really really bad idea. You can go and look through our our archives. I have actually posted uh, on my personal website legfreak.com and on furgoandthefreak.com a couple of different articles that put together all of our our episodes that are just based upon the draft and why a draft was defeated in the first place, why it didn't work originally, and why it would be a bad idea going forward. I will actually link those episodes in the current episode you're listening to, so you'll be able to go there, check out the link for that, and listen back to those podcasts if you want to. But what it comes down to is this. The Redcliffe Dolphins right now are looking to build an NRL squad for next year. How are they going about that? Well, they've got uh, Wayne Bennett as their coach. Pretty good, pretty good coach, I would say. He's done all right in rugby league. Phil Good probably doesn't like that. Who cares? 
So here are some of the players that the Gold Coast, uh, sorry, the the Redcliffe Dolphins have recruited for next year so far. Keep in mind this is a work in progress and they'll add more players and there'll be juniors that they'll bring in. There'll be local Redcliffe players that'll come into the side, things like that. But these are the notable players that they've signed so far. Ewan Aitken, not a bad player. Jesse and Kenny Bromwich, very good players. Very, very good players. Good players to build a club around. Uh, Jermaine Asako, not a bad player. I'd probably play him at fullback is my guess. Um, I don't know how I feel about Jermaine Asako. Like, he does have some of the tools you need to be a pretty handy fullback, but things like his uh, defensive positioning and things like that, he's got a long way to go still, but they're going to get him next year. Robert Jennings, uh, solid player. You know, solid first grader. Can't really argue about him. Felice Cafusi, very experienced player. Been in the Melbourne Storm for a very long time. Um, a good a good experienced player to have around a club that is expanding. Edric Lee, once again, I think it's fair to say Edric Lee, a veteran player. He's not the oldest player in the world, but a veteran player. Uh, handy player, if he can stay injury-free, very good signing, really. Uh, Jeremy Marshall King, not bad. Mark Nichols, solid front rower. Um, Jared Wallace, once again, probably a little bit better than a solid front rower. They look like they're going to have a a solid, uh, experienced front, you know, front row um, and, a, and a forward pack overall. And when you think about the way that Wayne Bennett has built teams in the past, that's not really a surprise. They are light on outside backs. They do have recruitment left to do. I think that they are aiming high with trying to get players like Cameron Munster. They missed out on a couple of targets. I think they would have liked to have got Ponga, but uh, didn't end up getting him. He stayed at Newcastle. But when you look at some of the players that are around the league and you consider who might become available, and I'm thinking of a player like, say, a Luke Brooks, who you know what I think about Luke Brooks if you've listened to the podcast enough, but at least get somebody in there that has played halfback at NRL level, you know the job they're going to do, and it's the first player that you're getting that's going to be an NRL player in the Dolphins' side. Like, you build upon that. You know, when you look at what they've built so far, it's not too bad. Like, I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, pretty solid start. It's a really solid base to build upon. Phil Gould thinks it's amateurish. Now, we can't all build and run teams like they're our fantasy rugby league teams where we sign players on long-term deals and then get rid of them after two years and, you know, pay other clubs to have them on their books, like Phil Gould tends to do with some of the teams he runs. We can't do that. And the Dolphins are looking to build something solid and something that means something. This is a club that wants to have a long-term future in the in the NRL and a very strong long-term future, and they will have that. There's no doubt about that. But they can't do that if they just ramshackle the team together and throw it all together at the last minute. Is there a situation where you could say that there are teams in the NRL that are not happy that they're having to compete with an extra competitor 
on the marketplace for players? I don't think there's any doubt about that. I wouldn't be shocked if this is maybe some sort of negotiation tactic that there is maybe a player that is choosing between, let's just say, Canterbury and the Dolphins. And the general manager of the Bulldogs has come out and said, you know what, that Dolphins team, they're a basket case. They're so poorly run. Last time I checked that Dolphins hadn't played a a game in the NRL. Like, it's probably a little bit early to make a call on how the Dolphins NRL bid has gone gone so far, seeing as they're not even in the NRL yet. But Phil Gould found it within himself to attack the Dolphins through Channel 9 Media. And Channel 9 Media, like all media does, they just spread that bullshit out across their day, across all of their different platforms. You know, these organisations don't do any real news any day. They just talk about what they've talked about previously in the day. It's kind of ridiculous, really. Um, I think that when it comes down to it, the Dolphins are probably pretty happy with where they're at. A couple of solid recruitments and people will start saying, you know what, this Dolphins team, not going to be easy to beat next year. Especially if they get Cameron Munster down the track. But there's plenty of first grade talent out there. There's heaps of it. If you don't think there's plenty of first grade talent out there, just go and have a look at what is happening at the Penrith Panthers, where they have lost a number of players over the last number of years, and they still, I mean, I think it's fair to say the Panthers probably have 35 or so proper first grade players in their squad. Um, You can look at players that they have lost even last year, and say, wow, how are they going to replace those players? And then they bring in some of their juniors, and you're like, wow, these guys might be even better, be better players than the players they've lost. That's how it works. That's how rugby league works. The idea that we would ever take away the prospect of a young player being able to play for his local NRL club is absolutely ridiculous. It is something rugby league has over every other sport in this country, that you can aspire to play for your local team. Anybody that looks at what the Penrith Panthers have done over the last few years, building from within, and says that that is a bad idea, doesn't understand the way rugby league works. When you look at how much money the Panthers spend on junior development, in not only the Penrith region, but elite juniors from outside of the region that they bring in and develop. You look at how many millions of dollars they spend doing that. It's unbelievable that anyone would want to undermine a system like that. It is unbelievable that anybody could look at all of the representative players that will play this weekend that have come through the Penrith Junior Development System, that have been local Penrith Juniors within the Penrith District, and say that that system is worse at developing players than a draft would be. It's just mind-blowing that anybody could be that short-sighted. And keep in mind, Phil Gould is the same person that said we needed to scrap the under-20s competition 
because it took away from lower grades football somehow. And the scrapping of the under-20s competition was devastating, especially to a team like the New Zealand Warriors, who used it as an incredible recruitment tool. You know, there's been so many missed opportunities because young athletes who are in that in-between age bracket where they're an elite junior, their talent is worth something. They can develop that talent. And they can choose any pathway. Like we've seen so many athletes at that age level that choose to go to rugby union, to AFL. Some of them choose boxing. Some of them choose MMA. It just depends. Like that's the great thing about rugby league athletes. They're so damn good as an all-round athlete. They can almost choose what they want to do in Australia. Because we took away that NRL under-20s competition that elite junior pathway that so many of those elite junior athletes saw and said, yeah, I want to be part of that. I want to be on TV every week. I want to test myself against the best athletes. I want to put myself in a shop front. That went. And you can just look at the New Zealand Warriors and see how devastating that was for them. It didn't really affect Penrith too much because I think that their elite juniors were able to play against their other elite juniors. They've got so many of them. It sort of didn't hurt them too much. But I think it hurt a lot of other clubs. And that was also one of the recommendations Phil Gould threw out there and pushed through the media and just a disastrous call. I think the Dolphins will be fine. I think Wayne Bennett knows what he's doing when he's putting together a rugby league club. And I think it's disgusting that one of the broadcasters of the National Rugby League competition and a broadcaster that will carry most of the Dolphins games next year into the Brisbane area would come out and attack the club like this while they're recruiting their first NRL squad and before they'd even kicked a ball in anger in the NRL competition. I think it says a lot about the way that Australian media and a lot of corporate media is run at the moment in terms of how it covers sport. It's really, really bad. Now, on a completely different subject, on the weekend I watched the England Rugby League team or whatever's left of it when most of their elite players are in Australia playing in the NRL. So the English-based England players took on a team called the Combined Nations All-Stars, which is a team that England chose from players playing in England to play England in England, controlled by an English referee. Now, um, if it sounds ridiculous, it's because it was. England continued to refuse to play uh, Scotland, Ireland, Wales, or France on any sort of regular basis, despite the fact that it would be very, very easy to do. Instead, they play, well, they make up these ridiculous teams. Um, The Combined Nations All-Star Team, I would say, was the quality of a team that was maybe mid-table New South Wales Cup, which isn't too bad. It's actually not a bad strength of a side. Um, The Combined Nations All-Stars obviously had no cohesion whatsoever. And that is kind of what, 
these games are supposed to be about for the England team is to bring together some players and try and build some sort of cohesion. I think that there's also an element of just getting England players into the habit of coming together as a squad on a a short-term basis, gelling as quick as possible, getting things in place, getting them used to that sort of environment that we've seen um, Australian Rugby League really get so much out of the Origin Series because our players do that every year, at least three times a year over here when they come together for an Origin Series. This There isn't a... There is a skill element involved in being able to come in to a squad and within a week you start training, you hit the ground running, you sort out your combinations. You know, there's different elements to that and it's it's different things like media that you've got to do, um, getting to know your teammates, getting to know what the coach wants. There's lots of background to that. So I think in that sense, it's a good idea that, that England have, but they're executing it really, really poorly in terms of not actually playing international teams, not playing in games that actually mean something. And I also would say that I look at this England team and I think a hell of a lot of these players that played in this game for England will not be there at the end of the year at the World Cup. I don't think that, you know, most of England's best players are in Australia, playing in the NRL. That's just a fact. And most of those players will walk straight to the England team. Uh, now, this game was, in terms of what do you get out of it for England, really bad quality game. It was, I thought, officiated pretty poorly. I wasn't going to say, like, I watched it, I tweeted about it for the first half, the second half I didn't tweet as much. I wasn't going to say anything about the refereeing, but I saw English supporters looking at it and tweeting about how one-sided the referee was towards the English team, which is something I felt was the case as well. You know, the combined All-Stars team didn't really get anything going their way. I thought that, uh, you know, it was just a scrappy contest. And I think for the football side of things, I don't think England would have got a single thing out of that contest whatsoever. I think that um, all of the background stuff, as I said before, they might have got something out of that. I think even the English setup might have got something out of that. When I, turn, when I say that, I mean in terms of the coaches and the, you know, the trainers and all that sort of thing. But I think in terms of football, there's nothing you can really take out of that game. And that's not a good thing. The England team that ran out was very, very, very poor. And when I look at their lineup compared to some of the teams we will see this upcoming weekend for New Zealand and Tonga, uh, the Origin teams, obviously, which is, you know, you could say half of Australia versus half of Australia, if you want to put it that way. I think the England team that we saw on the weekend was really, really bad. And... You know, I saw a lot of their media, and it's rugby league media over there, not wider media over there, because wider media over there just doesn't care about, you know, a game played against nobody in Warrington. By the way, I had heard all week that the game in Warrington was going to be sold out and a big crowd and everything, and when I put the game on, it was a pathetic crowd, like... 
if you told me there was 5,000 people there, I wouldn't be shocked. I don't think there was more than 7,000 people there. So the public didn't want it. You know, so just a not a good contest. Not a good contest at all. And I don't think that England got anything out of it. Now, there was a dude at this game that turned up and I saw him. I saw a couple of pictures of him um, on the day and then somebody on my Twitter feed and it was uh, Wire Casuals, who's been a long-term follower of mine, he sent a better photo that he tagged me in. And it was this guy that went to the game, and he had two footballs strapped to his his waist, and he held up two signs which he had written on, uh, and they were made out of cardboard, two signs. And I thought that his his points were very good. You know, I saw some people saying, oh, this fucking guy, I think that this guy's great. I would love to have him on the podcast. Now, his two signs said this. NRL teams play the ball with the foot. So do New Zealand, Samoa and Tonga teams. So do England ladies and Wales ladies. I've got the balls. Have you play with your foot? Now, obviously, he is not happy about the way that the play the ball situation is not only just for the England team, but in Super League in general. Uh, the play the balls are a mess over there. I know that in the NRL, sometimes we say play the balls and we say, well, that's not great. We see players penalised for playing the ball poorly in the NRL. It's very rare you will see that in Super League. Um, compare Super League play the balls to maybe what you saw in the very early noughties when we had the like just about the worst sort of football you've ever seen in the NRL where they were trying to speed the ball because we had unlimited tackles. The play the ball speeds were so quick that they were just rolling it between their legs and it was just a mess. Now, this started a debate on Twitter. There were some people that said, he is 100% right. I had one person that said that the play the balls should just you don't have to touch it with your foot. It makes no difference. Now, any time we have seen the game go away from playing the ball with your foot backwards, everything gets messy and the game breaks down into a mess. It seems like a small thing, putting the ball on the ground and playing it back with your foot. But it really changes the way the game is played quite a bit. First of all, it means that you've got to be much more in control of the ball when you put it on the ground and play it back. So it means that you have an onus on the player that has been tackled and has possession of the ball to get up and play it properly. That might take a half a second more, but it's a half a second where the defense can get back, where the markers can get in line with the player that's playing the ball. You know, these split second things can make a huge difference. Then you play the ball back, and it just slows it down just maybe another half second more because you're not just rolling it back. It changes the whole complex of the game. It changes the way the game is played around the play the ball area. When you play the ball back with your foot, it makes the game way less scrappy. It makes the game much more structured and one of the great things about rugby league is that it is a free-flowing game that also has structure. 
That's one of the brilliant things about rugby league is that you can have a game that has structure, that you can break an opposition down with uh, plays that you have set out yourself. But then you've also got plays that break down a defensive line that are off the cuff. That's why rugby league's so cool. You've got both sorts of attacks. Um, it is also what makes a good balance for the game in that good cover defense, which you could say is off the cuff defense, I guess, when your structured defense breaks down and you have to freelance the defensive side of the game is brilliant. It's just as brilliant as when you see a well-structured defensive side just closing things down and they're that well-trained, they're that fit. That, Like you look at the Panthers right now, and I know I use them as an example of a lot of the good things in rugby league at the moment, but you know things are going pretty damn well when you look at the Penrith Panthers. But you look at the Panthers' defense right now and you can watch them play against teams and say, wow, this is... This is unbelievably impressive on a defensive side of things. Rugby league is a game that needs that balance. And when you don't play a ball properly, when you just throw it back between your legs and roll it back and you don't worry about playing it properly, you break up that balance. Now, this dude, and I think somebody said his name was Steve, but I can't remember. Who? And this dude is great. I'd like... Don't rubbish this guy. This guy that loves the game enough to want to come out and say this and hold up a sign. That's what you want out of a rugby league fan. But this dude gets it because he's watching Super League and he's watching this England team and he's seeing that they're not playing the ball properly and they're learning bad habits. And these bad habits are going to put them in a poor position when they come up against structured defense, when they come up against a team that has a structured defensive line that hasn't been broken down continuously because the play ball's scrappy and it's too quick and you know no one really cares about how you're playing the ball, just get it back there. When they then come up against a good structured defensive line against the elite players in the world, they're not going to be breaking down defenses like they normally do in Super League, and like they would in this sort of contest against the Combined Nations. It's going to be much harder for them. If they went back to playing the ball properly, and they were playing against better structured defensive lines, defensive lines that they had to break down through, you know, better playmaking, better in-game management, better fitness, that would be better for the England team. That would be better for English Rugby League. And that's the problem when you look at Super League and how poor it is at the moment. It is just, it, you learn bad habits. In the same way that you can go and look at an NRL team, let's look at the West Tigers, for instance, and they learn bad habits. They learn how to lose games. You can learn bad habits on a, a league-wide scale as well, and I think that that's what we see a lot of in Super League. Even the best Super League teams are not that good. They're not that good defensively. And their attack is a lot of that early noughties NRL style of play where you just, it's all around the ruck. You're running out of dummy half and it's not so much about how you break down the defensive line through skill and, and deception and, and things like that. Even individual athleticism and things like that. You're more just running them back. 
You know, they're always retreating. Of course, you're going to make ground when they're always retreating because you're playing the ball so quickly. This guy that had these signs in Warrington, he gets it. Now, my understanding is he is a Salford supporter. Uh, he's a big supporter of the, the Red Devils. God bless him. Whoever you are out there, I hope you hear this. You are the you are the sort of English rugby league fan we need more of. I wish there were a million of you, dude. You are brilliant. And I want to thank Wire Casual for Casuals for sending that. Uh, just go to Wire Casuals, no space between them on Twitter. They've got a perfect picture of this dude. Um, just you know, I loved it. I loved it when I saw him, and, and I agree with him one hundred percent. Anyway, we will be having a preview that will be coming out in the next couple of days. Um, Have a look at some of the test matches coming up. I cannot wait for Origin. Uh, I think there's a lot of noise around the Origin squads. And I'm waiting until we get a more focused view of the actual Origin lineups we will be getting before I do the preview. But I've got to say, New Zealand versus Tonga. Just my body's ready. I am. I can't explain how excited I am for that game. I think both of those teams look amazing. Uh, I was a little concerned about Tonga that with the break they would come back and lose a little bit of momentum in terms of not so much on the field, but getting Tongan players to to be as committed as they had been during the dramatic rise they've had that was led by Jason Tormalolo. That hasn't been the case. If anything, they've got stronger. Uh, The New Zealand team looks really well selected. That is going to be a hell of a game, an absolute hell of a game. And, I mean, wow, representative weekends. We need more of them. Give us another one. Give us two of them, please. NRL. In between hearing Phil Gould whinging in the background and ignoring him completely, give us another representative round. Make it happen twice a year. It would be amazing. Anyway, thank you for listening to the podcast. Check out my website at leaguefreak.com. I post all of the uh, the episodes on there, and sometimes I write. I haven't been writing much lately, but I'd prefer to come and talk about it on the podcast instead of write. It allows me to elaborate on what I'm thinking a lot more. Uh, check out FergunTheFreak.com, the podcast website. Uh, check out my Patreon. It's patreon.com forward slash league freak. There's no space between league and freak. There's a couple of different tiers on there. Um, you can pick any tier you want. It's just if you can afford it, just check it out. Uh, if you enjoy the podcast, go on there, check that out. Um, don't, don't forget to go to rugbyleagueproject.com. Org. I think you can get there from .com as well. Uh, rugby League Project is the number one statistics website in all of Rugby League. It is the standard. There are no other standards for Rugby League statistics in the entire world. If you want to know about international statistics, if you want to know about historical statistics, if you want to know about English Rugby League statistics, Go to Rugby League Project. It is number one, and every other statistics website is just 
a pale, pale, pale imitation of it. There is only one, and it is Rugby League Project. Thank you for listening. Tell your friends about the podcast. I hope to see you soon. I hope you hear me soon. And keep an eye out for the next episode. Bye-bye, everyone. Download our app today and enjoy tackle-busting benefits with great odds, more markets, and same-game multi every NRL match at Palmerbet. Gamble responsibly. For gambler's help, call 1-800-858-858.